You're listening to the River City Church Podcast. Our desire is that you know Jesus, experience freedom, find community, and discover purpose. For more information, check us out on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co. Here's the message. Today we're finishing a series. I don't like to usually end a series at the beginning of a month. I like to usually kind of keep it somewhat contained within the month, but uh, there was something that you know I wanted to speak into as we've been doing the series, The God I Never Knew. This is part five. Uh, we've spoken into several things through this series. If you missed any of it, you can catch the podcast, but uh, we've looked at different aspects of a relationship with God that I think many people, even sometimes tragically when we grow up in church, we can really not be aware of all that God wants to do and all that he's made available to us. And uh, the picture I have is of, of many times we're like, uh, we're, we're starving, but we're seated at the table. The father's table has been spread open. I, I grew up in Vegas uh, and, and about as different from North Iowa as I could have gotten. I had no idea my wife would be from Mason City. And, uh, but, you know, I'm thankful for that. And, and when I was in Vegas, one of the things we used to go to with my family because it was cheaper to eat was we go to the buffet. I'm going to make you hungry. We go to the buffet, and as a kid, the one thing I liked to go to in the buffet was the desserts, because I could get all the desserts I wanted, and I regretted it afterward because my stomach hurt. But anyway, but, but it's just the reality that, that in the kingdom of God, we've been given a buffet of his grace, his goodness, his faithfulness, his promises, but many people live their lives not aware of all that God wants to do. And I've been trying to point to that a little bit, and I think the most important thing, the thing that's the missing piece for many Christians, uh, maybe even for you, has been the, an experience and relationship with God the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is, I think, the missing piece in the experience of many Christians that, that, that we can talk about him in church. We, we may be remotely kind of, uh, we acknowledge him in some way, but we don't experience what the Holy Spirit wants to bring. We've looked the last three weeks of this series at how Jesus, at his baptism at the River Jordan, the Holy Spirit descended like a dove. God the Father said, this is my beloved son in whom I'm well pleased. And then Jesus went to the wilderness. It said he was filled with the Spirit. Luke chapter 4, for those that, are, that remember. Uh, Luke 4, it says that he was filled with the Spirit. Then he was led by the Spirit. Last week we talked about uh, the importance of knowing God's will and how we can know God's will. God wants you to know his will for your life. And so we talked about that last week. But then the third piece was he came out of the wilderness. Jesus came out, it says, Luke 4, 14, in the power of the Spirit. And I believe he did that, of course, as, as a display, as the Messiah, as the Son of God becoming the Son of Man. But he also wanted to model, I believe, something for us as believers that are called by God to walk, to follow Jesus, to do what he's created us for. And uh, in, in Acts chapter 1 is where we're going to begin today, though. Acts chapter 1. Here was the last thing he told his disciples, apart from the Great Commission. In fact, this was essential to the fulfillment of the Great Commission. What's the Great Commission? It's, it's Jesus saying to his church, his people, you and me, he says, go into all the world. Preach the good news to every creature. Make disciples of every nation, teaching them all that I've commanded you. That was the Great Commission. And it wasn't just for pastors. It's for every single believer in Jesus. He gave us an, ins- an assignment that I believe, a calling, I believe that actually apart from his help is actually impossible. He calls you and I to do more than we can on our own because he never called us to be on our own. He called us to depend upon and be filled with the Holy Spirit's power and help. I gave you this analogy through this series. The the Christian life without the Holy Spirit is kind of like having a really nice car with no gas in the tank. 
The only way to get it to move is to get out and try to push, but that's not the most effective way to move a car, and that's not the most effective way to live the Christian life without being filled with and empowered by the Holy Spirit. Acts 180 says, you shall receive power. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, and you shall be witnesses in Jerusalem, that was their city, in Judea and Samaria, that was their region, and then to the uttermost parts of the world. This, I don't think it it's, can be understated how mind-blowing that would be for those that he's talking to. He's talking to people who probably, until Jesus showed up, have never left their hometown, <laughs> have, have done the same thing their families have done for generations, fishermen, and, and, and they've been a part of uh, their family business. They've been part of their routines and their small communities, all these different things. And then Jesus comes and says, you're created for more. You're gonna make disciples of all nations and you're gonna be empowered with the Holy Spirit. See, in the Old Testament, there were only hand-picked people that experienced the Holy Spirit. There were prophets and pastors, or prophets and kings and, and priests. And they would be empowered with the Holy Spirit to carry out God's will in their generation. But after this Acts 1, verse 8, Jesus says, you, the church, everybody can receive and be empowered with the Holy Spirit. And he says the result of that is that we would be made into something. He says you would be made witnesses. And I think we've done a slight disservice by reducing that to what the church calls just witnessing. And I believe we should witness and share our faith. And if you want to know how to be equipped in that, come to the Revival Nights. I know Joe's going to really teach on that too. But let me just tell you, he's created you to be a witness. And in a courtroom, if I could picture a courtroom setting, in a court there's a judge. And can I just say God's not called you to be the judge? Some of us think God empowers us, gives us gifts, and he does all of that so that we can be spiritually superior to others. No, that's not the case. If that's what you think, you've missed it. Turn our noses down at other people. and No, no, no. That, that, he hasn't created you to be the judge. He hasn't created you to be the prosecutor. He hasn't created you even to be the defense, to defend ourselves and you know, I think sometimes even as Christians, we feel like in a culture that's hostile, we have to be God's defenders. We have to come up with the best arguments for God. But he hasn't called you to be any of those things. He's called you to be a witness. And what's a witness? Well, well, in, in a courtroom, there's two kinds of witnesses. There's, there's a, I'm finally using my degree. <laughs> my parents would be proud. Um, <laughs> But, 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 but there's, there's two kinds of witnesses. There's expert witnesses. People that have gone to school and got an education and studied and learned and, and got all the right information and they're called in to testify about what they know. But then there's experiential witnesses that they come and testify what they've seen. And he hasn't called you to just be informational witnesses, just be expert witnesses. Some of us don't think we can be used by God because we don't know enough of the Bible. I'm a Bible guy. Get in the word of God. It'll grow your faith. It'll teach you. It'll lead you. It'll ground you and found you in truth. But don't ever think you're not qualified for God to work in your life and through your life because you don't know enough. I love the man who, when the, the Pharisees, the religious elite called him and they said, tell us about Jesus. And he said, I don't know everything. I have not have it all figured out, but here's what I know. I once was blind, but now I see. You know, my, my, my heart as a dad is to see my kids experience God in their lives. 
not just get information. I, I, I believe in teaching and training. We have an amazing City Kids program and youth on Wednesdays and they're, where they're teaching kids the word, but we also want them to encounter God. Because you can talk somebody into something, you can also talk them out of something, but when they've encountered the real living God for themselves, no argument. Listen, there's, there's nothing you can tell me that'll talk me out of Jesus. I've, I, listen, I, 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 I've experienced too much. I was broken, he healed. I was lost, he found. We're called to be witnesses. Now I wanna practically talk about today a few things. I'm gonna go through these quick. This is more teaching today, but I wanna share with you how God empowers us. Because it's not enough to know that he does, but how? The first one today is this, if you're taking notes, God empowers you with his presence. And we talked about the presence of God a few weeks ago. The presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. And I want us to, to look at 1 Samuel chapter 10 and an Old Testament example, because I love how this particular case illustrates this. Samuel is a prophet of, uh, in the Old Testament. A prophet would be somebody that the Holy Spirit come upon them and they would share God's word to the nation and to the world. And this particular day, his mission was one man. Don't ever evaluate your calling based on how many God calls you to reach. Because that one child, that one person, that one life that your life can impact can affect generations. Don't ever compare yourself with others and think, my calling's not significant because of this. Okay, so so Saul comes to him. And Saul's going to be the next king, but he doesn't know it yet. And he shows up and Samuel begins to prophesy or speak to something inside of Saul's future. And he tells Saul that you're going to be anointed as king. You're going to be, in fact, not just the next king. He'd be the first king of Israel. And and as Samuel begins to tell him this, he says, but something's going to happen before you become king. You're going to go to this place. And he describes in verse 5 that you're going to come to a place called the hill of God where the Philistine garrison is. Uh, let, Let me just stop on that for one second. This place is called the hill of God and it's where the enemy's occupying. Don't ever evaluate whether or not God has a purpose for something or someone because of how much of the activity of the enemy there is. Sometimes it's because the enemy knows there's a purpose and a calling. That's why he's fighting. That's why he's positioning. That's why he's bringing addiction and fear and shame and all this other crud. And right there where the Philistine garrison, the enemy has encamped, it will happen that when you come there to the city, you're gonna meet a group of prophets coming down from the high place, the place of worship and sacrifice. And they're coming with a stringed instrument, a tambourine, a flute, they're an 80s worship band. And they come with a heart before them and they will be prophesying. In other words, they're gonna be saying what God says. And then the spirit of the Lord's gonna come upon you, Saul. And you're gonna do what they're doing. You're gonna prophesy with them and be turned into another man. See, when God's presence empowers you, it does two things. God, in fact, this is why I believe the Holy Spirit comes upon our life or impacts our life, is to do these two things. This is what empowerment looks like. He empowers you for transformation, and he empowers you to do what you can't do on your own. See, Saul Saul could have said, well, that's just not my personality, Samuel. I took the Enneagram, and that's not me. I just offended some people in the room. And, and, but, but Samuel says, you're going to do what they're doing, and it's something you've never done before. 
because God hasn't called you to what you can do on your own. He's called you to what? He's called you to do something that is actually impossible for you on your own without God, but with God, he enables us to do it. Okay, so, so then he also transforms us because can I just say the, one, the number one thing that we can't do is change us. We can't try harder to change us. We can't work up enough willpower to change us. But five seconds in the presence of God can change your entire life. You'll be transformed into another man. <laughs> and when it happens, do as the occasion demands because God is with you. We need to remember that God's with us. Isaiah 28 says this, in that day, verse five, in that day, the Lord Almighty will be a glorious crown, a beautiful wreath for the remnant of his people. And he will be a spirit of justice, the one who sits in judgment. That's the one who's deciding things. He gives us wisdom. And a source, listen to this statement, a source of strength to those who turn the battle back at the gate. I talk to people all the time, especially now. There's just so many people that feel overwhelmed, overwhelmed by the culture, overwhelmed by, the, by, by even hostility and resistance and discouragement. And, and we're thinking, how can we raise our kids in this? And how can we do this? And how can we do that? And, and we look at the, you know, how can I start my business when the economy is this? How can I do my calling when, listen, I've never done anything that God called me to do when it made sense. We moved here and started River City Church in April, 2020. Figure that out. <laughs> Somebody like, what happened in April 2020? Okay. Like, I, I just, but, but here's what I found. When we follow him, he helps us. When we follow his lead, he empowers us. And for those who are willing to turn the battle back at the gate, there's a battle for your future. There's a battle for your family. There's a battle for your marriage and your calling and your, and, and your kids. There's a battle for, for, your, for your business. There's a battle for everything in your life that God has placed in your life. There is a battle, but there's also strength. He is a source of strength for those who turn back the battle at the gate. Those who are willing to say, God, I need your help. God, I'm gonna stand. I'm not gonna run. I'm gonna pray. I'm not gonna quit. Number two is that God empowers you with spiritual authority. God empowers you with spiritual authority. Luke chapter 10, verse 19 says, behold, I give you the authority. This is Jesus. This is in red letters in your Bible. If you got a red letter Bible. He says, I give you authority to trample on serpents, scorpions over all the power of the enemy. See, the enemy has power, but he's lacking something. Authority. You know, as a believer in Jesus, you're given power, but you're also given authority in Jesus. And I, and I, I meet people all the time that don't know that. And I think it's, 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 well, I, I'm not going to, never mind. I'm going to stop myself. That's the Holy Spirit. Thank you. Okay. <laughs> I, I think sometimes we don't equip people to recognize in the church that God's given them authority, not just pastors and leaders and what we would consider spiritual people and prayer teams and all that. And we have an amazing prayer team, but every single, the day you said yes to Jesus, you were given authority. I come from a family of, of, largely police officers. And, you know, one thing I, I found out is that even though I grew up in a family of police officers, sometimes I forget to slow down. Pray for our, our youth pastor. He's already gotten a speeding ticket four weeks into living in Iowa. But you know, when you're driving a little bit too fast and then you see the police car, you don't have to have anybody tell you to slow down. 
because the presence of authority has now changed your mind. (laughs) Do you know what you look like to the enemy? Do you know that the enemy slows down when he sees one person that knows what they have in Jesus? You have authority to pray. You have authority to see your family change. You have authority in Jesus to see addiction broken, to see shame leave, to see fear lose its hold, to see that thing that's kept you up at night, to see that thing that's held you back from the purpose of God, to see that broken. You have authority in Jesus. So he empowers us with spiritual authority. Number three is God empowers us with grace. He empowers us with grace. Now that may seem weird to some of us because we know the song Amazing Grace and we sing it and grace for us has just been this aspect of the grace of God that we've received forgiveness of our sin. And that's where it starts and I'm thankful for that. My, my, my daughter the other day was playing Monopoly with her brothers and I felt so bad for her because she kept ending up in jail. Like if you roll too many doubles, you end up in jail. You, you pull the wrong card, you go straight to jail. Do not pass go, do not collect $200. And I, I, I felt bad. You know, part of me, you know, as a parent, sometimes you see like your kids, you know, not winning in a game and you cringe because you know what's coming next. You think she's going to flip the game over because that's what I would have done. But she, she, she was having a great attitude about it because she just kept going to jail. And until you can get a get out of jail free card. Hello. Or you roll the dice. I forget how the game works. But anyway, they couldn't convince me to play with them. But, but here's what I know. Grace is more than just a get out of free jail card. Grace is more than just forgiveness. It's actually his empowerment to do what God has created and called you to do. In fact, as we read the Bible and you read things, even in the New Testament, you go, that's so hard. How do I do that? How do I forgive the person that I can't forgive? How do I love difficult people? How do, I, how do I believe and trust and have faith? How do I surrender? How do I do those things that I'm supposed to do? Well, here's the truth. You can't without the grace of God. But his grace empowers us to do what we can't on our own. 1 Corinthians 15, Paul said it this way. He described both aspects of God's grace. 1 Corinthians 15, 9, For I am the least of the apostles who, not, who am not even worthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. Paul says, I'm, I, I, I shouldn't even be here. I shouldn't even be in the list because my past is a mess. But grace doesn't leave us where he finds us. In fact, Paul's story was he was once Saul of Tarsus, who was the greatest persecutor of the church the church had ever seen. But just as he was passionate in stopping the church, he became the greatest builder of the church when he found the grace of God. That's what grace does. It turns our past on its head. It heals our broken places. The greatest pain becomes the greatest testimony. He says in verse 10, but by the grace of God, I am what I am. I love that God called Paul when nobody else would have. (laughs) When nobody else would have looked for the greatest persecutor of the church to be the one to build the church, Paul would write two-thirds of the Bible, the New Testament that you have in your hands. He would write two-thirds of the New Testament. He'd start most of the churches in his generation. The greatest builder of the church, I think, in history, started as the greatest persecutor, but I thank God that God's grace means that he doesn't consult my past to determine my future. And he doesn't with you either. But his grace doesn't just stop there. Watch what he says. But I labored, in talking about the other apostles, he says, I actually labored more abundantly than they all, yet it wasn't me. 
Paul recognizes, you know, all of the things that he's done. And, and, and there's a context for why he's describing this to the church, but he's just simply telling them, here's why I was able to do all those things that I was able to do. It was the grace of God, which was with me. Grace wasn't just what redefined who he was. It was also what enabled him to do what he couldn't do on his own. There's things in my life and yours that we need God's grace to be able to accomplish it. We need God's empowerment, his strength, his ability. Can I just talk to some parents in the room? There's no manual. The moment I had kids, in fact, with my first, because I'm an only child, so I wasn't around babies. The moment I held the first baby, I thought, I am not qualified for this. I'm going to break him. And I might have bumped him in. Anyway, um, I came close. Uh, but, but listen, there's something about the things that God's placed in your life and mine that God will give us grace to walk in. Whatever he's called you to, he'll enable you to do it. Whatever he calls you to do, he'll empower you to walk in by his grace. Number four is that God empowers you and this is related to the grace of God because God's grace is expressed in gifts. God empowers you with spiritual gifts. Everyone has gifts. Everyone has a calling. Sometimes we almost disqualify ourselves because we think, well, I'm not very gifted. But the problem is we're looking at other people and thinking, well, I don't have their gifts. And as much as I'd like to sing like Pastor Jason and Leslie, they still won't let me. persecution. <laughs> they, 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 I, I don't evaluate how God can work in my life by looking at somebody else. And, and so many times we think, well, I'm not a pastor. I'm not a Sunday school teacher. I'm not a missionary. So that's all that, that's, that's like the short list. Like that's all that God calls us to do. But the truth is God calls you to be a parent. God calls you to be a teacher. God calls you to raise up the next generation. God calls you to be a business person. God calls you to be a, a, a doctor. God calls you into every area that you're in. God will empower you and enable you to do it. And he places in your life and mine spiritual gifts. Ephesians 4, 7, but to each one of us, each one of us, grace was given. And it was given according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, Jesus has all the gifts. But then according to his gifts, according to the grace on Jesus, he's given to his church because we're his body. And so God places inside of each one of us something that we need from each other. This is, this is huge, church, because I think we found out in the last few years, you know, I've, I've, we're going to be adding to reach people. We're going to be adding more online ministry, and we're working out the technology side of it. And we're working on all of that, but there's no substitute for being in the room, not just because we receive, but because you and I have something to give to somebody else here. Every person has spiritual gifts. Every person, God has made a deposit in your life that somebody else needs, And while I need to receive, but I also have something I need to give to others. And it's not just about us. In fact, here's what 1 Peter 4.10 says. As each one has received a gift, minister it to one another. That means to serve. I'm so glad for our dream team. If you don't know what our dream team is, it's an amazing group of people that get here before you even show up, before we even show up, and they serve and they prepare and they create an environment where we can encounter Jesus. 
And, and, and that's what we do. We use our gifts to impact and serve others, to reach people, to meet needs. And he says, do this as good stewards of the grace of God. God's actually, he's the one that owns the gifts, but we manage it or steward it responsible to God. Number five is that God empowers you with ability. And all of these overlap, but I want you to see this. God empowers you, number five, with the ability to accomplish your calling. And this includes our spiritual gifts, it includes authority, all the things we've talked about, but it actually takes it a step further because there's wisdom you need. There's, there's skills God's placed in your life. There's all these things that God's given you. And if you don't recognize you were actually created for an eternal purpose, people live their lives never knowing what God has created them for. And it's tragic to me because church should be more than just, church is a spiritual hospital that no matter where our past is, no matter how broken we are, we can come and find hope and healing in Jesus. Amen. So we, we don't have a criteria that you must be holy, this holy to jump on this ride. Okay. What do I mean? Let me, let me speak to that for a second. Some of us think, I've got, to get, I've got to get healed before I go to the doctor. That doesn't make sense, does it? We come with whatever our mess is, and we come to Jesus, and he sets us free. He makes us whole. He, he empowers. He does all those. He's so beautiful, so amazing. Jesus restores our lives, forgives us. But then church is more than that. Church is not only a hospital, it's where we're to be equipped to do what God has created us to do. It's not, you are not sitting in the waiting room for heaven. I hate to break it to you. Okay. It's not the spiritual DMV. Exodus 35, verse 30, Moses said to the children of Israel, see the Lord has called by name, Bezalel, son of Uriah, the son of Hur. So, so I love this. It says, the Lord has called him by name. Do you know, he could have chosen anybody, but he chose you. Now, everybody has a calling, yes, but not everybody has your calling. Like, nobody can do what he created you for. Nobody can do what he's made you and shaped you and gifted you and put your unique interests and your unique, uh, uh, everything that he's wired you with, your unique personality. Nobody can be and do what he's called you to do. He's called you by name. Watch this, verse 30, 31. He has filled him with the spirit of God. In fact, this is the first mention of this phrase, the filled with the spirit of God in the entire Bible. And here's how he was filled. He wasn't filled to be a worship leader, a priest, a prophet, a king. He was filled to, he's a craftsman. He's a builder. Some of us think, well, God can't use me because I'm not this or I'm not that. No, no. Every one of us, God has something in our life, your life that matters, that matters for eternity, that can make a difference. And he fills you. He empowers you in wisdom and understanding and knowledge and all manner of workmanship to design artistic work. I I love that. Verse 34, and he's put in his heart the ability to teach. Because what God has placed in him wasn't meant to stop with him. So every one of you has something God has created you for. And the joy and the adventure of the Christian life is not just receiving from God. It's giving the Christian life away. It's using the gifts of God in our life to make a difference for others. One last passage. And then uh, Jason, if you want to get ready. Zechariah chapter 4. Just to set this up, 
uh, Zechariah is a prophetic book, and it's, it's a message really of encouragement, especially right here. Because Zechariah is called by God to go to one man in particular who's going to affect the nation. And, and this man's name is Zerubbabel. I'm sure it's at the top of your baby name list. And Zerubbabel is the governor, and he's responsible for something. His job, his task, is to see the, the house of God finished and fully built. So generations before, because of sin and idolatry, the temple was destroyed in Jerusalem. The city was burnt. The, everything was torn down. The people were taken away. Well, God began to restore and bring his people back. And they had an impossible task. Impossible for them on their own, but not impossible for God. God called them to rebuild his house. But along the way, they encountered resistance. And I just want to encourage somebody in here that's maybe having some resistance. You've taken some steps towards God, and all of a sudden it seemed like all hell started breaking loose. And maybe you thought, am I doing the right thing? Am I going the right direction? Can I just tell you, resistance lets you know you're going the right direction. (laughs) Because the enemy is more discerning sometimes than we are. Just like that passage, the enemy occupied a place, set up camp on the hill of God. I see people at a young age that experience horrible stuff because the enemy knows their purpose is trying to take them out. There's resistance in your marriage and you're wondering what's going on. It's because the devil knows how anointed and called your marriage is. And whatever it is in your life where you're having resistance, don't let resistance define you. Let God strengthen you in the fight. Hear the word Zerubbabel. Not by might. Can we put that on the screen? Not by might. Not by power. But by my spirit. He tells him, Zechariah comes and he says, I have a message for you. And I'm going to just sum it up real quick because it's a, it's, a, it's a very prophetic, you know, picture that he gets. But the picture is that God has more than enough, more than enough of, of his spirit to empower him to do what he needs to do. And the message can be summarized right by this verse. He says, not by might, not by your power, not your ability. Listen, I, I've got a lot of stuff in my life that I can't do on my own. But I thank God that I'm not on my own and neither are you. He'll give you the skill, the wisdom. The, he'll help you in your job. Just ask him. He'll help you in your business. Just ask him. He'll help you with your family. Just ask him. That's why I think so many times we live absent that because we live absent of the recognition of the importance of this one thing, and that's prayer. You know, it says that Jesus often would withdraw and pray. He'd preach, he'd heal, he'd do all those things, but then he would go and be alone with the Father. That was something every one of us needs to follow. Because I can't be the dad, the husband, the, I can't be the Christian I need to be unless I spend time with him. And he gives me his grace. I want to challenge you to, be, to participate on some level in this 21 days. Make space for God. Make time to be alone with God. And maybe you already do that. 
Let, let God stretch your prayer life a little bit. Go a little bit deeper in your prayer life. Because it's just very simple. But where there's less prayer, there's less power. Where there's much prayer, there's much power. Not by your might, not by your ability, not by your strength, but by my spirit. God's going to accomplish what he set out to do. And I love this last part of the verse. The very next verse, verse 7. He pictures the, the challenge before Zerubbabel of accomplishing and finishing God's house as a mountain that can't be overcome, as a mountain that has to be scaled and traversed. And a lot of us approach our problems like that. We see a problem and we go, well, I'm just, I can't change that. So we settle with the mountain instead of doing what Zerubbabel's gonna hear from, from the prophet Zechariah. So he says, who are you, O great mountain? <laughs> who are you? What, what, what's shame to hold you back? What's fear to keep you bound? What's addiction? What's this mountain before you? What's this brokenness before you? Who are you, O mountain? Before Zerubbabel, you shall become a plain. You know, the way to move mountains isn't to talk about mountains. <laughs> some of us are such experts in our problems we talk about it every day we call everybody on our list we send messages some of us even post our status on Facebook regularly about all our mountains but you'll never move a mountain doing any of those things <laughs> he says he shall the Zerubbabel he shall bring forth the capstone that's the, the final part of the house of God. He's going to finish what he started with shouts, not of how great the mountain is, but shouts of grace, grace to the mountain. I'm going to ask you to stand your feet. I want to pray with you today. (laughs) Who are you, O mountain? spend a whole Sunday just on that because we can talk about the mountain we can go around it we can we can decorate it but you were meant you were created to move mountains not only for you but for your families for this city for North Iowa we're witnesses not just not just here to the ends of the earth that's what he said and there's a lot of mountains there's a lot of things in front of a lot of people But I love to see God specializes in making mountains plains. (laughs) Making a way where there is no way. Healing and restoring what everybody else has written off. Taking a Saul and making him a Paul. That's what grace does. And rather than just talking about the mountain, we need to start declaring the grace of God over it. We trust this message encourages you in faith and in your relationship with Jesus. To learn more about River City Church, find us on social or visit us at rivercitychurch.co.